Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. So, 33 years of pastoring now, and um, there's a few things that, that never cease to amaze me. One of the things that never ceases to amaze me is when people give their life to Jesus Christ at a church service. And I don't, I don't know how I process this, and it might be unusual, but when I think about it and, and I'm praying for people, Lord, would you save people today? Save people, save people today. I'm thinking like the sinner, like I used to be, woke up that morning, most likely had no idea he was going to get saved, right? He's here because his cranky religious wife brought him or the neighbor or someone at work or, you know, she's here because a girl at, you know, whatever, the the gym invited her. Like, so she's here, he's here, you're here. And you stumble into this place and something begins to start happening. The Spirit of God begins to move on people's hearts and, and something happens during worship and they start feeling something that they hadn't and then they, they hear the, the word proclaimed and the power of the word goes out like a sharp two-edged sword and pierces past every defense mechanism they put up. And something happens in a moment that's miraculous where someone who came in lost, leaves, found. Someone who came in dead, leaves, alive. Right, I mean, the the contrast, we could go on and on. Someone who came destined, no question about it, for an eternity in hell, leaves, leaves, knowing they're gonna spend eternity in heaven. That's, a, that's almost too much to even like, how does God do that? I never, I never get tired of that. It never ceases to amaze me. So before we even get into the word this morning, I, I want to say, you might be here, and I just described your scene. Maybe you've been coming to church, but something happens to you this morning. And at the end of this message, you realize, man, I've got to make a, I've got to make a decision to follow Jesus, for real. I've, I've got to trade hell for heaven. I've got to trade guilt for freedom and innocence. Now, if you're going to do that this morning, I want to, I want to just give you two things to consider. It's going to take humility for you to do that. Why does it take humility? Because it takes humility to tell God, God, I've, 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 uh, I've sinned against you. I'm not perfect. It takes humility to say that in front of other people. Hey, y'all, I've blown it. <laughs> Welcome to the club. It takes humility to do that. It takes humility to say, I need Jesus. It also takes courage. Now, it doesn't take as much courage as 
It does for some people around the world that have to make a decision for Christ, but it takes courage to then stand up in your humility and, and walk forward and say, Jesus, I need you, and I'm willing to say it in front of all of these people. You go, well, Steve, why does that have to happen publicly? Well, because Jesus said it did. He said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. Like, see, this age-old thing, you know, never talk about religion or politics. Like, that's not in the Bible. Like, there's no such thing as a closet Christian. There's no such thing as a secret follower of Jesus. So I'm just saying the miracle might happen to you today. And in order for that miracle to become complete, full circle, it's going to require humility and it's going to require just a little bit of courage. And then we're going to cheer you on and watch you leave here heaven bound instead of hell bound. Would that be awesome, somebody? Yeah. So I've got a message this morning um, based on Ephesians chapter two, verses one through seven, which we'll get to in a minute, but uh, we're picking up this great series that Pastor Ian started a couple weeks ago now, and we'll, we'll get into Ephesians in a minute, but uh, this is my intro today. In 2010, there was a movie made called Night and Day. Now, anytime a preacher wants to quote a movie or whatever, there's always this panic about something that happened in one corner of the movie that was horrible, and then, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's condoning the whole movie. I'm not condoning the whole movie, but I'm condoning, condoning this one clip. So there's this movie called Night and Day. Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, and Tom Cruise is this super spy, no surprise, right? He's this super spy and um, he's being hunted by the bad guys and Cameron Diaz, the damsel in distress, gets just kind of absorbed into this crazy story and man, they're getting shot at and chased in cars and motorcycles and all this stuff's going wrong and she's kind of like this innocent victim in it. And it gets to the point where she's tired of it all, as you might imagine. Like, she's done with it. She wants out. She didn't sign up for it. She didn't ask it for it. She's an innocent bystander. She just wants out. She wants away from Tom Cruise. She wants out of the situation. She wants to go back to her normal life. Check this out. I see the gospel all over the place. I'm just telling you. Like, I see that and I go, that's, that's it. 
That's, that's pregnant with eternal reality. Here's Tom Cruise preaching the gospel by telling the damsel in distress, your life expectancy without me is here. With me, here. Without me, here. And he repeats it several times because people need to hear repeatedly. With Jesus, up here. Without Jesus, down here. Your life expectancy apart from Christ is down here. With Christ, up here. Without Christ, down here. My message this morning is entitled, Without Me, With Me. Based on Ephesians chapter two and night and a day. <laughs> Ephesians chapter two, verses one through seven says, and you, he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, and you, Jesus made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in, what you want, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, just like everybody else. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Well, let's start as the passage did without him. Let's start looking at that. And I'm telling you, this is the worst news in the world. This is a bad news message right here for the first several verses. This shows us as clearly as possible how utterly and completely lost and dead, spiritually speaking, Humanity is apart from Christ. Paul is giving us a no-nonsense list. He is hitting humanity, not just the Ephesians, but all of humanity throughout human history right between the eyes with precondition, a pre-Christ condition of humanity. He doesn't spare our feelings. He doesn't try to soft battle it. He just lays it out. First of all, without Christ, humanity and you and I, without Christ, are dead in our trespasses and our sins. It means that we are spiritually dead. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when, where God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Don't do that because the moment you do it, you're going to what? Die. Now, it wasn't a physical death. It was a spiritual death. Satan comes in, deceives him, tells him, you won't be judged. 
You won't die. Go ahead and eat it. They ate it. And from that moment forward, every single person who was born into the human race was born spiritually dead, separated from God. We call this the fall of mankind. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. Number one. Number two. He says prior to coming to Christ or being without Christ, we all walked, every single one of us walked accord according to this world. We didn't just, Jerry, we just didn't walk according to the course of the world. We walked according to the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So not only is humanity apart from Christ spiritually dead, lost humanity, lost humanity walks according to the principles of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are walking after the plan of Satan himself who works in the sons of disobedience, not just dead apart from Christ, but rebellious and walking in a way that makes Satan happy. Well, dang, I, I knew I was bad, but I didn't know I was that bad. You're that bad. So was I. Might have been a little better, a little worse than the person next to you. Doesn't matter guilty before God. Number three, to continue this great news message this morning, Paul says, we all conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh. Now those in Ephesus who were first reading this, they understand full well what Paul is talking about because of the temple of Diana that was there, the temple prostitutes, and the totally lust-filled and lust-ridden culture. But friends, it's not pointed just at them. It's again pointed at every bit of lost humanity throughout human history. Number four, it's not just functioning and following and conducting ourselves in the lust of the flesh. It's fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Fulfilling it, not just toying with it, not just poking it and seeing what happens or cracking the door and looking behind the other side. No, it is a fulfillment a full participation and completion in the desires fueled by Satan of the flesh and of the mind. You and I, prior to Christ, because of our spiritual death, did what we wanted to do under demonic influence. That's what the Bible says. It always just shakes me when I hear people say things like, well, you know, people are basically good. I don't want to go, judge, is that true? I don't think so. People aren't basically good. We're gonna see in our fifth and final point here in just a minute. But conducting ourselves in the lust of the flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and operating under the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience doesn't sound like we're very good. 
Paul paints a very, very bleak picture of life apart from Christ. And it's for every single person. The fifth and final point that he makes, if this wasn't enough, he just lays it out clear and he says this, we were by nature children of wrath. Our very fallen nature determined that we were only worthy of the wrath of a holy God. Pastor Steve, this got to get better quick. This is why David writes, Pastor Shane, this is why David writes and said, in sin I was conceived. I didn't sin after I turned five. Lord knows a two-year-old knows how to sin. Is that right? Anybody notice, those of you who are parents, you never have to teach a child to sin. You put two two two-year-olds in the same room with one toy and you're gonna see sin. You don't don't have to tell one of the two-year-olds Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab the toy, hit the other one over the head with it, and say, mine. Just watch it. It'll just take a minute or two at the most, and you're gonna see what born in sin and by nature children of wrath looks like. That's right. That is what is in the very nature of people apart from Christ. It's not some people, it's not those people over there, it's every single one of us apart from Christ. Without him, down here. Now, right when Paul is writing this and and you can't even stand to read another thing except by my very birth, my very fallen nature, I'm an object of God's wrath. Right when we can't think anything else, he says, but God. (laughs) This, This joker's fixing to take a turn for the better. But God, who is rich in mercy, Number one, because God is overflowing in mercy and kindness and gentleness, because God doesn't run out of mercy. Does that make anybody feel good this morning? Lamentations 3.23. Your mercies, O God, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But God, but God, it means that there was no one or nothing that could intervene successfully on behalf of our lost, corrupt, fallen condition. Nobody could come to the rescue. We couldn't rescue ourselves. It took God. It took an act of God. But God, He intervenes. He intercepts the 
the, the trajectory of mankind and now gives us an option. Now you have a choice. Do you want to experience the rich mercy of God that is beckoning you and waiting for you to say yes to it? that is new every morning, that doesn't run out, that'll kiss you every time you wake up in the morning? Do you want that? Or do you want to stay as lost as you are and rebellious as you are, still surrendering yourself to the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience? Now there's a choice. But God, who is rich in mercy, number one, the second thing he says is because of his great love with which he loved us. God's love, friends, it's not stingy. It's great. It's, it's mega. It's massive. How, how big? What, what does Paul do to try to describe the, the demonstrated love of God to help us understand how great it is. We know that he's rich in mercy, but what does a great love look like? Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God, there it is again. But God, he demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How great is God's love? God's love is so great that he looks at a people that we all were apart from Christ, dead and rebellious, satanically inspired, filled with lust, fulfilling lusts, our very nature contrary to God. And he says, even though you're in that spiritual condition, my love for you is gonna be demonstrated in that while you should die and pay the penalty for your own sin, I am going to lay your sin that has caused you to be deserving of eternal damnation in hell. And I am going to lay it upon my innocent son because somebody's got to pay. And I am going to lay the penalty of your sin on my son so that you can be free, so that you can be forgiven. You talk about a great love. Is there any love greater than that? God demonstrating his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died in our place. But God, who is rich in mercy, and because of this great love with which he loved us, Number three, he made us alive in Christ. He flipped the switch. He turned us on. He gave us life, spiritual life. Now, 
We are a new creation in Christ. We're not an improved creation of our old self. We are a brand new creation that never existed before. Now we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. We were by nature children of wrath, but now we are the righteousness of God in Christ. This is the single greatest rags to riches story in all of the history of the universe. What God did for us in his great love, he made us alive in Christ now spiritually alive when we were eternally dead. John chapter one, verse four. I love what it says about Jesus. In him was life, and his life is the light of men. John 5, 25, Jesus said, most assuredly, that means take it to the bank, a good one. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will, what? Live! You were dead, but you heard the voice of life himself. I love people say, well, life is good. You know the best answer to that? He sure is. Not it. Life is a he, and his name is Jesus. And he takes dead people who are sinful and lost and headed to hell, and he gives them life and allows them to go to heaven. That's what he does. Life. Gee, this is his specialty. John eleven twenty five. 25, what did he say? I am the resurrection and the life. Because this is what he specializes in. He came, John 10, 10, I could go on and on. He came to give life and that more abundantly. The scripture says that all of creation, every living thing, think about this, that all life was created through him and by him and for him. No wonder he's qualified to give us life. Number four, he saved us by grace. We'll talk more about this as the series unfolds. But he saved us by grace. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. This is grace. It is divine enabling. It's not just it's just not God's unmerited favor. It's God's unmerited favor that accomplishes something that you couldn't do for yourself. He saved us by grace. He sent Jesus while we were still a mess. And if in part of your rebellion toward God this morning is saying something like, you know what, well, I'm gonna clean my act up and then make myself presentable to God and then he'll accept me. <laughs> You're dead. 
There's no cleaning up death. There's only giving it new life. That, that very thought is the essence of pride. I'll do for me what I can do for me and God will accept it. <laughs> yeah. No chance. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself. God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. And you find yourself at that place of humility, right? Ben, right? Of saying, Jesus, I've got nothing to offer this equation except myself. My repentance, my confession, I need you. I, I, I bring nothing to the table except my guilt-ridden, spiritually dead self. And because you said you would receive me, here I am. And the grace of God comes and lovingly collides with that lost person. And in that moment, the Spirit of God works a miracle in the sinner and turns him into a saint. The very nature of a person is changed. That's why once you say yes to Christ, you're no longer a sinner, you're a saint. Grace moves in. Aren't you glad you don't have to try to be something in order to become something? You just need to believe something to become something. That's how this deal works. But God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love with which he loved us. He made us alive though we were dead in trespasses and sins. And he saved us by grace, but he wasn't finished yet. He didn't just make us alive, but he raised us up and he seated us in heavenly places in Christ. Without him, with him. Without him, with him. He didn't stop here. He went all the way here. And he raised us up and sat us in heavenly places in Christ. And if you go back two weeks ago, or excuse me, last week, when Pastor Ian read, you can read in Ephesians chapter one, verses 19 through 21, what that exactly is and what it looks like to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Do you know where it is? It's at the right hand of God. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named. God wasn't satisfied with only giving you life as wonderful as that would have been. 
What he also did was say, I'm gonna seat you at my right hand of favor and power. I'm gonna seat you in Christ in heavenly places far above all principality and power. What does that mean practically? It sounds great positionally. What does it mean practically? It means this. The devil who I used to walk with is now under my feet. That's what it means. It means I no longer have to be his walking partner. It means I no longer have to follow his plan for my life. It means greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. And I will rule and reign and conquer him through Christ and not myself. That means I'm living a new life of victory and not sin and defeat anymore. That's who I was, that's not who I am. That's how this deal works. Without him, with him. So a couple questions with just a few answers. What good is it to describe people's spiritual condition without Christ? Is that just to make us feel bad? What good is it to tell people how lost they were apart from Christ because it shows people, number one, without Christ, how utterly and completely hopeless they are on their own. Your life expectancy without Christ is down here. You and I have zero chance of the forgiveness of our sin and the salvation of our soul apart from Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. That's either the truth or a lie. You decide. Why do we show people's spiritual condition apart from Christ? Because it shows us how lost we are without him does something else for those of us who are now on the other side of this salvation encounter. It reminds people in Christ how thankful we should be for what Jesus did for us. Never, ever, ever forget at least this. On your worst day, when every unfair thing in the world has happened to you, where you don't feel the joy of the Lord or his presence, when you are having the worst season of life possible, here's one thing you can always hold on to. You're not going to hell. I can't tell you how many times in my life that was the thing that was real to me. It wasn't the warm, fuzzy of God's embrace. I was so devastated, I couldn't feel it. It wasn't the, the, the beauty of his voice as I flipped through the pages of the word. I couldn't hear anything in the moment. But what I knew, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I knew I wasn't going to hell 
because God is rich in mercy and has a great love for me. Don't you ever forget, Christian, what Jesus has done for you, how far he's brought you. You see, if you don't know how far he's brought you, you don't really know how thankful you ought to be. See, like if you think, well, you know, I can see why Jesus kind of, kind of see why he took a liking to me. I don't understand why he saved a guy like me. You know how thankful you're going to be next to nothing? When you understand that you were dead in trespasses and sin, that you were lost, that you were by nature a child of wrath, and now you sit here happy, filled with God's spirit, the joy of the Lord is on you. Looking back at what we were should make us happy today. Here's my next question. What good is it to describe people's spiritual condition in Christ? Because it reminds those of us who are in Christ now, what's available to us? I feel like we lose sight of what's available and who we are and what God affords us because of the riches of his grace and kindness. We go back two weeks ago to Ephesians chapter one. Do this on your own. Read verses three through 14 again, and you're gonna find here's how good God is. He blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He didn't hold anything back. Peter says it like this. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's given us everything that we need. We've been chosen, hallelujah. We are holy in his sight. Me, really? Yes, you, through Christ. Chosen, holy, blameless. Blameless? Well, I'm guilty of that sin I did last night. No, blameless doesn't mean that you're, that you're innocent of doing something horrible. It just means that you're innocent in that there's not gonna be a charge against you. You're blameless. You're loved, you've been adopted, you've been favored, you've been redeemed. It means purchased out of slavery. You've been forgiven, you've been given an inheritance, you've been sealed with the spirit until the day that you go to heaven. And God did all of this and way more. It says, according to his good pleasure, it means that God, okay, you've got your arms folded, you're in a gray shirt and you got glasses on. Could you stand up for a second? If I know who you are, forgive me. I can't see that good. But let me just tell you something. Do you know and love Jesus this morning? Okay, so, so, so think about this. God was thrilled to save you. He did it according to his good pleasure. Like when you finally said yes to Jesus from your lost condition, like the angels rejoiced. God shouted, Zephaniah 3.17, he spun around wildly and danced and was like, yes, my son who was what? Dead, dead, is alive again, my son who was Lost? <laughs> Would you all learn your Bibles? 
My son who has lost has come home again. He did it according to the good pleasure of his will. Well, all right, gray shirt, come on in. Come on, gray shirt, you made it. You're on the team, you're in the family. According to the good pleasure of his will. Good job. You see, it reminds us how thankful we should be. It reminds us what's available to us in Christ and that God was happy to do it. Man, what else is ours? God's, God's presence is ours. Hebrews 13, 5. I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's for those of us who are in Christ. God's presence is ours. God's power is ours. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Power to live a powerful, victorious life. God's promises are yours. 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. It means God's promises get believed and received and as they get worked out, the world gets to see the fulfillment of the promise of God through us. They see the goodness of God through us. We are God's trophies on display for the world to see a good God who takes dead people and makes them alive again. Why else does the scripture describe life in Christ? Because it shows people without Christ what can be theirs in Christ. If you're without Christ this morning, everything that we've just been talking about, man, it could be yours. You could be like gray shirt in five minutes. <laughs> it, it can happen for you that fast. It's to show people what can be theirs. This is, this is what it said at the end at verse seven, right? It's, it's to show the future generations the exceeding richness and kindness that is ours in Christ by God. It's to show off his workmanship. It's to show off how good he is. It's to show off, I'm done with this, Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. That's what this is about. This shows every single one of us that no matter how far, how lost, how sinful, how decrepit, how degenerate someone is, God can save to the uttermost. God can save to the uttermost. So if you're Mr. Uttermost here this morning, God can save you. He will save you. He will save you. He'll do it now. Why would you, why would you give that up? Why would you give that up? Too prideful? Too cowardly? Man, I hope not. So here's the deal. We're not bowing heads and closing eyes. We're not going to do anything but do this. I'm just going to ask everybody to stand on their feet because it's going to make it easier because I'm guessing there's somebody here. Who knows? 
But I'm guessing there's somebody here who wants to leave going to heaven instead of leave going to hell. There's somebody here that wants the the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and the goodness of God. Maybe you're backslidden this morning. Listen, man, come on, let's do this now. Let's make it right with God now. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that your word is so crystal clear. It shows us the eternal contrast between being with Christ and without Christ. Now, Father, if there's anybody here this morning, anybody that needs to get right with you, anybody that needs to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, or they're backslidden and they've been away and they need to get it right today, Lord, I pray that they would have the humility and the courage to do it right here, right now, while we can celebrate them home. So I am going to boldly ask you to say yes to Jesus right here, right now. Right here, right now. If you're there in your seats, wherever you are, I'm gonna wait. I am willing to stand here as a fool for Christ. You come and grab my hand and let's pray together. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna do anything. You come out of your seat right now. Come on, push past the people. I know it's crowded. It doesn't matter. Come now. Church, be praying. There's people whose lives are in the balances right now. Come on, come down from the balcony. Your heart's beating out of your chest. This is you. This is you. Come on. Come on. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Come on. Who else? Got it. We're going to pray with you. Just wait just a second here, pal. Who else are we waiting on? Come on. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and will open the door and will let me in, I'll come into him. If he's knocking on the door of your heart, I'm going to compel you. Come now. Find a life and forgiveness. Come now. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Come and be reconciled to Christ. Let your sins be washed away. Though they be red like crimson, brother, white as snow. White as snow. New life, bro, right here, right now. Every foul thing done, forgiven. Yeah. New life, new start in Jesus. Y'all stretch your hand toward this, this new brother, this member of the family. Well, buddy, I want you to repeat a very simple, brief prayer, but I can tell it's going to come from your heart already. I want you to say, dear Jesus, dear Jesus forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I turn toward you. I give you my life. Give me, my life. Give, me your life. give me your life. Give me your salvation. Give me your salvation. Forgive, me. Forgive me. Wash me. Wash me. Fill me with your spirit. Your spirit. I, surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. You're my Lord. My Lord. 
and my Savior. My Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, bro. Come on. Come on. That's what's happening in heaven right now. They're throwing a party for you. Listen, your past is done, bro. You're starting over in Christ. Guilt, shame, all of it gone in the name of Jesus over your life. Thank God. All right. Glory to God. Didn't get any better than that. All right. We'll see you. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Blessings on you.